The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty Father, whose dear Son, on the night before he suffered, instituted the sacrament of his body and blood, mercifully grant that we may receive it thankfully in remembrance of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in these holy mysteries gives us a pledge of eternal life, and who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. We may be seated for our readings. Our Old Testament reading comes from the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from 1 Corinthians 11:23 through 34. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some of you have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. And he laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who it was who would betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should go and do also as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this week. Thank you for this night. Thank you for all that you and your son have done for us, Lord. And we ask that you turn our hearts to you, that we know you as we reflect on scripture, as we wash each other's feet, as we receive communion. Amen. So as Christian was saying at the beginning, well, actually first, welcome. I'm glad you can join us here for Monday Thursday service tonight. As Pastor Christian said at the welcome, Monday Thursday, uh, it is in many ways actually part of a series of services meant as one. Traditionally, that is called the triduum. It's an incredibly complicated word. There's two U's in a row, and you've got to pronounce them both, triduum. Um, it is, it's referring to the sacred three days, as the church would put it. Um, it's today, Friday, and Saturday, but it mainly is meant to encompass the big three main services of Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Easter Vigil. Uh, uniquely, those are really considered one liturgy, one extended service. The part that I would mention, Christian mentioned, we leave in silence and come and leave in silence. There's no blessing and dismissal until the end of Easter Vigil, for instance. That's when we finally find the end. Um, these things are meant to be fully united for us and for how we consider them and process through them. That does mean that, yes, you're here tonight, so to finish, you have to come back tomorrow night and Saturday to actually get the whole service. That's how we get you. Um, when I think about these services, though, uh, and think about this big mass triduum that is going on, there feels like a bit of a mismatch to me. Tomorrow we have Good Friday, and that's about the death of Jesus Christ and the end of sin, and then we follow that with the Easter vigil service, which recounts in the beginning the many saving acts and promises of God, and of course, we end by rejoicing together in the resurrection of Jesus. These things are huge. These days are about the climax of all of God's plans to end our slavery to sin and death. They are literally earth-shaking, if you remember that even in the readings. Um, they're world-changing days that impact all of our lives in every way. And yet the single united liturgy we have over these days actually starts tonight. It's so small in the upper room, in this quiet, intimate moment between Jesus and his disciples Jesus and them eating, sharing a Passover meal, but first Jesus gets up from the table and he washes their feet. What does this night have to do with these others? Why do we remember it? Why do we hold these things together like this? And simply it's because Jesus held these things together. Even this simple, almost homey moment of Jesus and his closest disciples sharing a meal, even here Jesus is doing so much more than just hanging with the guys He's giving his disciples, and that includes those in the room with him, and even us who are joining in across time and space, he's giving us something that we can hold on to. He's giving us something to help make sense of all that is about to happen, or for us, all that we know has happened. 
Jesus is helping us to see that even the huge world-changing events that take place over these days are still ultimately so deeply intimate and personal. Jesus is giving to his disciples, again, that is those in the room and us, he's giving us a call and a work so that all that is about to happen or that we remember did happen, all of that becomes something that we can join in and live out. And all of this, of course, starts with the foot washing in John 13. As we come to our gospel reading and this moment, the first thing we do need to remember is just how gross and low foot washing was. If you've heard this before, you probably remember this. Of course, at this time, most of the streets were, you know, generally unpaved and very dusty. Much more problematically than that, the animals that regularly, regularly used those streets, they didn't understand cleanliness. And even humans threw an awful lot of really awful things out of their houses onto the streets. And if you think about it, at that point, the only type of street cleaners they might have had was the occasional rainfall or maybe some scavenging animals. It just means the roads were very messy, and the people wore sandals, so their feet were very messy too. Of course, when you got home, then you would wash your feet right when you got home, or if possible, someone else would wash your feet. Especially true if you were visiting someone else's house, they would provide someone to wash your feet. And that person was always the lowest of the low in that house. Usually it was a household slave if there was one available. So when Jesus gets up from the supper at this point and begins to wash his disciples' feet, we can understand how confused and even probably upset the disciples were. Peter, of course, is the only one who voices this, but they all feel it. Their teacher and Lord is the last person in the room who should be washing feet. One of them should probably have done it, but to volunteer would be to put yourself in that lowly place of humility. It was, for them, really equivalent to slavery. And they all kind of thought, who wants that? So when Jesus gets up to wash, some of them maybe even feel ashamed that they didn't act before now, but they would all feel deeply how wrong this action is. They follow Jesus. He's in charge. He should not be washing their feet. But the thing is, of course, None of the disciples really understand what is happening here, not least what this act of service is about, which we'll come back to. But of course, they don't really understand who it is who's washing their feet here. They could be a lot more upset and confused than they are. They think of Jesus, as he even says, as their Lord. That means their master, their ruler. They know him as their teacher. He knows what is right. He shows them the way. They, of course, are missing the full truth because Jesus isn't merely their teacher and their Lord. He is also their God. The Gospel of John begins with a really amazing prologue. It's one that is meant to be read and then remembered over every part of this book. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it goes on in just a little bit to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John is clear. Jesus is the Word. He is God made flesh. And John wants us to see everything that Jesus says and does, not only as the words and deeds of a great man, but as the very words and actions of the one true God. This truth lies over this whole foot washing. John even is reminding, of it, reminding us of it again at the beginning of chapter 13 in verses 1 and 3 here. Jesus had come from the Father. He was returning to the Father. Just think of that as his rightful place is right there with the Father, with God. But also, the Father had given all things into Jesus' hands. That's all about his authority Everything is under his control. Even more, in this moment, it means that Jesus, in everything that he is about to do and about to go through, he was deciding what would happen 
with everything else in all of creation. Jesus' next days would decide it all. And it is this Jesus now who holds all authority, the Word made flesh, who washed his disciples' feet, who out of his great love for his own got up from supper, laid aside his garments, wrapped himself with a towel, and accepted the lowest, most reviled task of washing feet. The glorious God of creation willingly became like the lowest slave. When I was a child, there were occasionally times where we would spend the night up the road at my grandparents' home with my grandpa Bud and my grandma Doris. Uh, I remember one time I was there with my twin sister. We were probably around seven. I could be totally wrong. I don't really remember ages that well. Uh, But it was after our dinner, which when my grandma was there, dinner was always great because it was mostly just sweets and treats. So we had no problem with that. But it was after those things and before we could make it to bed, probably because of the sweets and treats, uh, we were playing with my grandpa Bud. Specifically, we were, we were doing his hair. Uh, he didn't have a ton of hair, and it wasn't all that long, but we were having a good time combing through it. And then especially, we were putting in barrettes, and maybe some of you remember those little weird twisties that had the bright balls on them, plastic balls. I don't really know what they were. We were just putting them everywhere that we could. And I remember we were laughing and joking, and I remember Grandpa playing along so well and laughing with us. When I got older, I, I realized that actually my Grandpa felt really a bit embarrassed about his hair loss. He really didn't like drawing any attention to it in any way. And as I got to know that, I look back on that time when we were playing with my grandpa and playing with his hair there, and I see just how much more he loved us. Despite his own feelings about his hair, he dove right in and he just played and laughed right along with us. Knowing that extra detail really grows this reminder for me about who my grandpa is and how he loved us. I share that because as we come back to our passage I think the point here is that knowing and remembering who Jesus is at this moment, it just shows us how much more important, how much bigger this moment really is, how much deeper his love really is in this. You know, it's really not a little thing when we remember that this is the God of all creation and he's acting in love and he submits to such servitude. We really should be a bit more shocked about all of this than we often are, maybe a bit more like the disciples. The moment shouldn't be overlooked or downgraded is only something kind of sweet and nice, or even just something we're pretty used to. And that brings us back to the big question, so what is really happening here? Why is Jesus doing this? Now, of course, Jesus is in this moment, he is really serving his disciples in this way. He's really loving them by washing their feet. We can even think about how this moment changes our views of humility and service. There'll be more to come for that, of course. But more than all of that, This moment is meant to point beyond itself to the infinitely bigger moment coming the next day for Jesus' death on the cross. The foot washing is meant to symbolize all that is about to happen when their teacher, Lord, and God gives himself completely for them, becoming not just like a slave but like a lowly criminal and submitting himself even to death. This is also then meant to show us that Jesus' death is intentional, the one who holds authority over all things. He holds it in his hands and he's free to lay down his life just like he can lay down his garments in service. His death is intentional and we know, of course, his death is for us. Even as Jesus Christ, his cross has life, death, and cosmic implications because he does win the fight against sin, death there. This moment reminds us that all of that in Jesus' death, there's still something so personal His death is for us. 
It's his loving, caring sacrifice and service for us. Honestly, all that Jesus does on the cross is in so many ways so big that it's hard to wrap our minds around all the time. It's hard to be able to hold on to. But in this simple foot washing, Jesus gives the basic level that we all need, something we can hold. Jesus shows us here that we know his death, it accomplishes our cleansing. We can have our sins washed away so that we can be with him. So Jesus very intentionally is starting this weekend, these days of suffering, death, then his final resurrection. He starts all this with this act. This is the true God demonstrating his incredible infinite love through service. This is an act of love, and it is a symbol that points ultimately to his ultimate act of love, the cross. This is, gives meaning to what Jesus accomplished there. And also, as we consider all of this, we all find that Jesus in this gives us challenge and a call. And the first thing we see, we need to accept the love and gracious service of Jesus. It's required of us We see in this story that Peter at first refuses to let Jesus wash him. And it's not a little refusal, actually. He's telling Jesus, you will never, ever do this as long as the world lasts. And in some ways, that sounds like a really righteous response. Jesus is our Lord and teacher. He's God. To be served by him, not to be the one serving, can feel so out of place. But Peter was very wrong. And Jesus tells him very strongly, if I don't wash you, You have no share in me. Of course, we know that Jesus didn't mean the foot washing literally at this moment. This is pointing to the cross. Unless Peter accepts Jesus' sacrifice and love for him, he can have no ongoing life with Jesus. But I know this moment for Peter can feel pretty distant for us at times. But I think it's a question that many of us do struggle with. Will we let our Lord Jesus love and serve us? I know even as I say that, the right answer pops into our mind immediately. Yes, of course we will. But what about all those times when we tell ourselves, well, I need to be better first. I need to do more right, clean myself up, stop doing this thing before I can actually call on Jesus. Or we tell ourselves, now I know I'm forgiven, but now I must do everything right. I can't make any mistakes. Or maybe we decide first, I need to stop this sin before I can confess it except forgiveness and even his help with it. It's just all on us. It's all on me. There are countless little ways that we resist the gracious love and service of our God. The call in tonight's story is to stop resisting. Let him wash you. Let him serve you and love you and save you. Also in this passage, we have another very direct call from Jesus. It's when he says, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should do also, just as I've done to you. Jesus calls us to serve as he serves. Now, if this was only a call to wash feet, it would actually really be pretty simple, wouldn't it be? I could do that. It's not that hard. But again, the foot washing is pointing us to the cross, to Jesus' sacrificial death for us. So he's not calling us just to clean each other's feet. He's calling us to a radical, humble service that requires our whole selves. We must offer ourselves up in service that demonstrates the cross to each other. And that is huge, and that is hard. Though even in this story, we are reminded that Jesus doesn't actually expect perfection. He accepts Peter. 
And we know as the story goes, he keeps accepting and forgiving Peter. Jesus' love and sacrifice for us always outweighs our mistakes and our imperfections and sins. And Jesus is patient. He gives us our whole lives to practice loving, to practice serving. Even tonight, in a few minutes, we're going to be going to a time of foot washing. This is a moment for us to practice. It's a moment for us to act out our desire, our commitment to live our lives in loving service for one another. All of this then, this humble, sacrificial service that we're called to, it also comes with a really amazing promise. As Jesus continues to explain this call to his disciples, he says, of course, that they and we, we should serve as he has served. Then he explains that servants aren't above their masters or messengers above the one who sent them. Finally, Jesus adds, truly, truly, I say to you, when he says that, it's, it's a point of emphasis. Pay attention. Jesus is going to say something really important, so pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Maybe we ask, well, then who are you sending? It's us. It's his disciples, and it's not simply the 11 who remained faithful, but it's all of us who have turned to Jesus, who have accepted his love and forgiveness. We are all being sent out. This is what Jesus is saying as he says, you have to serve as I serve. Messengers aren't the one above the one who sends them. His point is we are these messengers. We're meant as the messengers. And we have this amazing promise that as we go out in service, as we try to love sacrificially in a way that points others to Jesus' great sacrificial love, Jesus is there in all that we do. Whoever receives us, welcomes or accepts our service, they aren't only receiving us. They're truly receiving Christ himself. So no matter how hard or simple or messy our service is, no matter how inconsequential it can feel, the ones who receive what we're trying to give are going to be receiving our Lord. Even just think about this weekend. We realized earlier this week that we have at least 80 people involved in the services this weekend. I think it's more and it's involved in music, singing, tech, to reading scripture, to greeting you at the door as you come in. We have trained professionals and little kids. There are big service elements that we feel, and there are things that are going to happen that we're not even going to notice. But in all of that giving and serving, we are receiving Christ again and again. And it's not just this weekend, of course. It's throughout our whole lives. This, for us, is a great gift. We weren't there in the upper room to have our feet washed by Christ. Now he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven, but he's still here. Even tonight, as we come forward for the simple task of foot washing, as your feet are being washed, you are receiving Christ. So pay attention. Look for him and the one who washes your feet because he's there. He's promised to be there. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.